you know, I seldom get more pushback than on this whole thing, meet and greet or whatever you want to call it. And yet now I can't even get your attention again. So I feel like you guys love it now. So we're going to keep doing it. Um, so there you go. Uh, it has become a precious rhythm to us here at Jacob's Well over the last number of years to begin our calendar year in this series called Faithful to the Core. And the core there is faithful to the core of who we believe God has called us to be as a church. And so what we'll do over the next number of weeks is we will work through, I don't know, you could call it maybe the core DNA of our church. What, what makes us tick here at Jacob's Well? And so today we'll start very, very, very basically um, with our name, right? What is this funky name? And then uh, our vision, where are we headed? Where, where, what's our North Star? What, what sort of community do we want to become? And then over the, the subsequent weeks, we will work through our various core values. Um, we call them here core identities. I'll explain even why that is. And then there's some sort of specific things that we do every year, given what we feel like are just some of the, the current needs or, or maybe things that we're anticipating going through um, as a community. And so, for instance, this year, um, we'll talk in this series uh, a little bit more about evangelism than, than we have in past years because that's such a, a strategic emphasis for us this year with the launch of Alpha and all that. And then we'll also talk about politics um, because it's an election year and man, am I looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> and, so, and so we'll talk about, we'll sort of frame for us, how are we to think about that as followers of Jesus? How are we to think of that um, in a church that is culturally, ethnically, and dare I say politically as diverse as ours is? What does it mean to navigate that uniquely as, as people who, who claim the name of Jesus? And so, um, so a little bit of very familiar stuff to, to some of you who have been around for a little bit with some emphases that'll be a little different. Today, though, I would imagine would be the most familiar to those of you who have been with us for any number of years. And yet, I'll say this at the outset, uh, I got a little something for you if you've been with us for a long time that I think might shed some new light on a topic that you've heard us talk about quite often here. So, um, so we'll begin really, really high level with uh, what's with this name, Jacob Swell. I know that as people pass us on 27, many people think we're a food pantry or, you know, um, I don't know, uh, I've had various things, some sort of community organization, um, or who knows, maybe a cult run by someone named Jacob. Um, I have been asked if I was Jacob. Um, I am not, um, and you should celebrate at that. Uh, and so uh, Jacob's Well is a particular place in a particular story in the scriptures. And that particular place, that particular context, is a place where one of the most beautiful unveilings of who Jesus is happens. And it happens in this conversation with a woman that we only know, really, by her, by her ethnic background. She's a Samaritan woman. And that story comes to us as Agatha uh, just read for us in John 4. So I want to, um, not overly quickly, but I want to somewhat expediently uh, kind of work our way through that story, share with you some of the things that are particularly precious to us within that story, and then um, talk to you about what it looks like to continue living that out as a church this year. So turn with me, if you would, uh, to John chapter 4. 
It will also be on the scrolly Bible. There it is, scrolling away. Uh, on the screen, but I would love for you to have an, a Bible open. One of the things, I don't know about you, but one of the things that's true for me about John 4 is it is about the most, I don't know if you can see that, you probably can't, but it is, it is about the most colorful chapter in my personal Bible because of over the years, different things that, uh, that have particularly stood out to me, whether it's in my own preparation or hearing others preach on this passage. And I would love for you to have a record um, for as long as you're with us since we do return to this so often, I'd love for you to have a record of the various things that we talked through. So I'm going to try and avoid about 75% of these so that my sermon isn't an hour and a half long. But, uh, but let's jump in right at the beginning here. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. I love that because it's basically saying Jesus is starting to get in trouble with the powers that be, and it's on false information. Okay, some things never change in the world. There's rumors being spread about him. And at this point, we get the sense this is where he starts to be pursued by the religious authorities. He left Judea, uh, that's the place where Jerusalem was, the sort of center of power, and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So this is one of the things that had to there. I would have you uh, circle that in your physical Bible if you're not too offended by writing in your Bible. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, um, I should have had a map up of this, but very simply, if you could picture this, if you could picture uh, sort of the Holy Land, if you could picture Israel as a map and just cut it into three sections vertically, one, two, three on top. Judea, where Jerusalem is, is down here in the south. Galilee, where Jesus is from and where he returns to often in his ministry, is up north. And right between it, right in the center there, is this region called Samaria. And Samaria was a place for the Jewish people, those living in Galilee and Judea, it was a place of otherness. It was um, associated historically with massive differences religiously, culturally, even in their interpretation of history there was massive difference. You see, Samaria was the place where after, and I won't take you through all the details. Again, I'm trying to avoid some of the, some of the minutiae here. But basically, after Israel was carried into exile by all of these various conquering empires, one of the things that they would do is they would come in, they'd conquer the land of Israel, and then they would take captives back to, whether it was Babylon or, or Assyria, to these various places. Well, when the, the Jewish people eventually returned to the land, there was this reality that many of those that had kind of sided with the, with the empires, those who had said, well, we're in a new place, so might as well, whatever, adopt a new culture, adopt a new religion, a lot of those people just ended up in this central region of Samaria. And so it became a place associated with a kind of, of selling out, with a kind of um, cultural accommodation, with a kind of, hey, you didn't stay true to the one true God. In fact, what we get in this conversation a little bit later is that even at one point, the, the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, built their own temple on their own mountain as almost a rival temple to the one in Jerusalem and said, this is where the one true God is actually worshiped. 
So hopefully you're beginning to feel some of the tension. Now, here's what's interesting. Why I had you circle, he had to pass through Samaria, is that is not strictly true. In fact, it was more common for the Jewish people leaving Jerusalem, trying to get to that northern region of Galilee, to circumvent that middle section. They had highways literally around, highways that either went along the Jordan River, which by the way, it's not just about avoiding that central region. It's also about having access to the water. So you had the sea over here, the river over here. So you'd want to be along those routes. These were days long journeys. And very rarely would you, would you sort of go straight up the gut um, through Samaria. In fact, there's stories of Jewish people being killed after various festivals in Jerusalem, trying to get back up to Galilee. And so to say that he had to pass through Samaria is a very interesting little clue to what's going on here. Now, what this is, is it's this little, uh, here's your Greek lesson of the day. That's the original language that this was written in. It's just this this little, this little teeny tiny word, uh, basically D-E-I, dia is how you say it in, in the original language. And this word is used throughout John's gospel to speak of things that God divinely appointed to have happen in the life of Jesus. This is what scholars call a divine imperative. It's a divine imperative. And so the the reason why Jesus had to go through was not geographic. It was not by the, the transport routes of that time. It was because God the Father had a very specific thing for him to do in that place. He had to pass through Samaria. This is a little like if you're going, I was thinking this week, it's a little like if you're going from here to Connecticut, it'd be a little like saying, he had to pass through the George Washington Bridge, which you don't, you don't. The GPS wants you to. The thing to do is if you get, if you need to get to Connecticut, this might be your biggest takeaway from today. Set your GPS from here to Tappan Zee Bridge, now, the Mario Cuomo Bridge, not for long, by the way. People don't like that it's Mario Cuomo. But uh, politics, that's for another week. Um, and so set your GPS for Tappan Zee Bridge. Get yourself to Tappan Zee and then do your location in Connecticut, right? Because you don't, you don't want to pass through the George Washington Bridge. It goes really bad there. Things get gummed up. It's crazy. For some reason, the GPSs can't figure it out. That's a little like what's going on. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This is a story from the Old Testament that I won't go into. Uh, But Jacob's well was there. So that's the Jacob that's being talked about. The Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob sends uh, servants there to to find a a wife for his son. It's It's a whole thing. But basically, that's who this is named after. This is... so. What's interesting here, though, is given all that history that I just said, given the the religious, cultural tension between these people groups, now there's this historical site. Now there's this monument, this memorial, right? Think of of our present moment in history, right? There's There's this religiously, culturally, historically significant location that this interaction happens at. It's sort of like God himself, I want to say the author, but given this dia, given this divine imperative, it's like God, God knows exactly what he's doing. He's turning the volume of intensity up. He's turning the tension up in this story. We're at Jacob's well. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is noontime, okay? They, they did 
time a little different. Forgive my little cough drop here. Um, it was about the sixth hour. So high noon, okay? Sun is blazing down in this moment. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. I'm doing away with the cough drop. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, in case we're not getting it, we have this, this parenthetical little note from the author. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is not something that was said. This is something that John is going, in case you're not getting it, in case you didn't do your homework, in case you're not realizing how high the tension is right now, this shouldn't be happening. Jews have no dealings. Literally what's being spoken of here is this have no dealings is uh, literally the word means they don't share silverware together. <laughs> it's such an interesting choice of a word, right? There's so much, ugh, right? There's nothing that so moves the human heart against another than, than the feeling of disgust, right? And there's a disgust between these people groups. They have no dealings together. There's a, ugh, those people. And here Jesus says to her, hey, would you grab me a drink? Now, not only do we have a Samaritan talking to a Jewish person, now we have a man and a woman alone. Jesus' disciples have gone, we've just been told. She comes out alone. She, she's with no companions. So now the tension gets turned up a little bit more. A man and a woman in that culture, in that time especially, should not be completely alone, even in the bright light of day. And then there's this very interesting thing where even though Jesus is more or less on her turf, he asks her to be the one to, to serve him. It's a very interesting moment where he says, hey, would you, would you provide me with a drink? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Metaphor. <laughs> okay? He suddenly, he suddenly clicks into Jesus-y metaphor. All right? He, what he's saying is, I know it feels like I'm asking from something, I'm asking for something from you. I know that that feels like the primary thing that happens, that's happening right now. But if you only knew, if you only knew how I was sent here from heaven's throne for this moment, for this interaction at this exact hour and day and location, you would know that you're the one who's actually about to receive something. And by the way, I think what's going on here is this is a reminder that when, that when God is preparing to do something in our life, whether it's, it's original, you know, the moment of your salvation, or whether it's just a sort of whatever, a new closeness to him, a, a new something in your life, he will ask for something from you. Right? This, is, this is what makes putting your faith in Jesus so difficult. Because what he asks for is everything. He says, your allegiance is now entirely mine. He says, and I know it feels like the primary thing happening is I'm asking for something from you. But if you knew how far that I have come to make available this interaction, you would know that you're the one who's actually about to receive a hundred more than anything you're going to give me. 
That's, that's the dynamic of relationship with Jesus. Can, can I speed ahead for a second? Our vision is to become a church that's known for breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. That's our little one-liner, breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. Encountering Jesus in the way that this woman does, in the way that we want you to, the various things we do as a church, will initially always feel like, oh, I'm giving up. Oh, I'm sacrificing. Oh, God's asking for more from me. And Jesus is always on the other side of that saying, if you knew the one who asked, if you understood the gift of God, and really uh, that translation there could just as easily be, if you understood the grace of God, if you understood how grace works, grace always outgives. My grace always outgives whatever you're going to give to me. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She doesn't realize he's using metaphor. Neither would you, okay? This is not, she's not like, we're not supposed to get that she's, she's just not in yet. She's not quite catching up to who she's interacting with. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. She literally asked him to his face, are you greater than Jacob? Do you know what the answer to that is? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. I, she's asking a rhetorical question of we're literally standing at Jacob, what, you're better than Jacob? And Jesus is like, oh, if you only knew, right? And this is always us when we're encountering Jesus. I know Jesus, I know you think that that would be really great for me, but I don't know, are you really greater than? And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm greater than. Yes, I am. Oh, sorry, Jesus, that was a rhetorical question, right? And he's like, no, I'm greater than whatever thing you think is going to satiate your soul level thirst Whatever thing you've attached, ultimate meaning and significance and joy and whatever it is, self-actualization to, I'm greater than that. Yes, I am. But he doesn't go there too quickly with her. Watch the tenderness of Jesus. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Incredible, right? She's still probably working on, on the physical realm. She's like, oh, you got that sweet, sweet Fiji water, right? Like, I want some. And if you, and if you can make it a spring, right? Like, if you, if you can put a faucet in my house and I just have direct access to it, she's like, he must be some sort of, like, mega plumber or something. Like, she's trying to piece together, like, you're telling me that what I give you will actually become a spring. Like, game on. Like, bring it, bring it to my house. Like, I would love to not have to come out here in the blazing sun. But of course, what Jesus is saying is that what he gives doesn't just satisfy once, and then we need a new solution. It satisfies in a way that causes us to return again to the same source. Because what we will find is unlike the thousand things that we attach to and we go, that didn't did it, do it, right? I mean, how many, right, how many times do I get up here and I give examples of people who are now walking in the things that we think if we had them, whatever it is, money, fame, a certain level of attractiveness, certain level of success and what, whatever venture, right? And those people get to the mountaintop and they shout down to us and they go, I'm still thirsty, Right? And then we have saints who have actually given up what we aren't willing to give up in order to have intimacy with Jesus and ongoing devotion and have done things and given up things 
in order to be proximate to those who are suffering, like Jesus calls us to and says that there's real life there. And they go, I'm not thirsty. And we go, yeah, but I want to be famous, right? Like, yeah, but I still want the money, right? Like this is Jesus saying there is a lifestyle that if you choose it, ends up not with perpetual thirst, but with the sense of, no, I found the source. Right? And I don't think anyone ever perfectly lives this. But I can tell you today that there are people in this very room who would tell you, yeah, Jesus is better. And what Jesus has provided me doesn't feel like a one-time satiation of thirst. It feels like, yeah, that's the source. And sometimes, insanely, I run away from that source and think, ah, oh, maybe another well, right? Maybe Jacob is better, right? But when I return again, I'm reminded, no, no, that's the source. No, that's what my soul actually longs for. That's what Jesus is saying here. Okay, now the, now the record kind of skips. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Um, again, it's like, huh? Uh, why does he say this? Um, I mean, it could be, it could be, some commentators say, it could be because they're alone. And Jesus says, hey, I know that you could suffer, right? Jesus ain't worried about his own stuff. He's like, I know that you could suffer shame, that you could be judged because you're out here alone with me. So, so why don't you go get your husband? Um, Jesus also happens to be the son of God, God incarnate. And so I think he's setting up the interaction he's about to have. And clearly her response is, he told me everything that I ever did, which probably means that there's more conversation than we have here where Jesus knew a lot about this woman. That's my interpretation. Go call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Okay, so this woman has had four husbands the, or five husbands. The one she's with now, whatever the count is. Um, she's not married, but she's clearly in a relationship. Um, what's going on here? Uh, traditionally, right, this has been interpreted as, oh, this woman has jumped from relationship to relationship. And so this woman is sometimes called, you know, a loose woman or, or whatever. Um, and that's possible. It's certainly possible here. It's a little bit unlikely, given the cultural context, that she would have that kind of, one, that she would be empowered to do that, um, to be able to make that choice for herself. And two, that at some point, her reputation wouldn't get, get out in front of her, and men would stop marrying her. Um, so it's a little bit more mysterious than I think the church has tended to flatten and just say, oh, this is an immoral woman. Um, Jesus has plenty of interactions with immoral people. Um, it is noteworthy here that, that the issue of, of sin specifically doesn't come up. But I think what at least is going on here is this woman is at a well in the middle of the day, which, which every single cultural sort of analyst says is, is rare, is noteworthy, is a little bit strange. Um, you go to the well at the beginning or the end of the day because the, the water is cold and because the rest of the community is there. So at the very least, right, this is like, I picture Jesus like, pulling up to a Wawa and there's a woman standing outside at 3 a.m., right? And I don't, who knows why she's, but there's probably a story. It's kind of what I think is he's, he realizes, hey, there's a story here. 
And this is one of the things that just stands out most to me about Jesus is his ability to hone in on a single individual when his task was the salvation of the world, his ability to be utterly focused and honed in on, on one person, on whoever was sitting in front of him is just one of the most extraordinary things um, about him. Um, makes you think of that scene in Barbie <laughs> um, where she's sitting on the bench, if you've seen Barbie, where she's sitting on the bench and all of a sudden she starts looking around and she becomes aware of the other people around her. She becomes aware that someone's crying over here, someone's laughing over here, there's people arguing over here. And there's this sudden awareness of, she gets out of herself for a moment. It's one of the humanizing moments um, in that moment. She gets out of herself and she realizes, oh, there's this whole, I feel like Jesus experiences that like a hundred X. He's so aware of what's around him. And now he's alone with one woman. And he's so aware, right? He knows her so intimately and that's so quickly apparent to her. The woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, which I love that. Um, and then they get into this theological discussion. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem, right? This is the whole thing that I was talking about before. Um, I don't know. I, that might be a little bit of a deflection for her. She might be like, this is a lot about me. You ever been in that place, right? Uh, maybe it's in a really good conversation with a friend. Maybe it's in a counseling session. Maybe it's your pastor who asks you too many questions. And you go like, uh, whew, this is a lot about me. What do you think about baptism, right? <laughs> or whatever, right? Um, and you kinda, you're kind of like, what do you think about this? Now, this is a very, very significant theological issue of the day, right? And it does remind us right here in the middle of this interaction, it reminds us of the barriers that should be constructed between her and Jesus having this level of encounter, because she's saying, hey, can we resolve the historical, theological, religious, cultural issue of our day while we're standing here? You seem really insightful. How about you solve this one for me? And so if nothing else, she's continuing to feel this sense of, why is a Jewish guy talking to me? He might be a prophet. What are we doing? What's happening right now? Is this okay? What does he think of this whole mess that, that the news is talking about and that every columnist is, is trying to, what do you think of this? Jesus says, uh, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. Isn't he ever? When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, you, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> um, okay, so Jesus says, uh, uh, Jerusalem, <laughs> basically, right? He's like, yeah, salvation is from the Jews. Jerusalem is the town. But that's not, not going to matter pretty soon, right? And this reminds us of the radical things that Jesus said about who he was. He stands in front of the temple and he says, that temple, which you understand to be the sole conduit between earth and heaven is about to be undone because that conduit is now me and my very person. Tear this temple down in three days and I'll raise it up. That's what gets him killed. And so he says, temple, temple, history, and all that stuff. You know what matters now? Me. And you know what matters most in all of the debates and all of the various issues and all of the things that, that we could bring up and, and talk about and have different views on and all that stuff? You know what matters at the end of the day? It's Jesus. <laughs> He's the one who matters. And, and what do you think of Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? That's what he's standing in front of her saying. 
He's saying because the Father wants those who want to worship Jesus. That's the, that's the ultimate. That's the only right view there is in the world. Or at least it starts there. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Literally what she says there is, come see a man uh, who told me all that I ever did. And then it's structured, uh, the grammar there is negative. She says, this certainly can't be the Messiah. I think what she's saying there is, what are the chances that we've been longing for this for centuries and I just met him out at the well, right? I met him at the Wawa, right? Like, um, but I'm telling you, he told me a lot of stuff. He told me an awful lot of stuff about who I am. It can't be, right? It can't be. It can't be, right? This isn't the most power. A lot of people say like, oh, this is such powerful evangelism. I think it's evangelism by negation and suspicion. If she's like, surely not. I mean, you can go see. No, he knew. He knew it all. He told me everything. I mean, go see. It can't be. He's at Jacob's well. He's, he's where we are every morning and every night, right? And this, this, again, think of encountering Jesus. How many of us feel that? Me? No way. Right? You hear a sermon. You have a conversation with someone. I wonder how many of your stories started like my story started. We have a conversation with someone and you go, I think God is talking to me. I think he wants me to do this. I think he wants me to give my life to him. I think he's calling me to, to really like, I'm going to be like a Jesus person. Me? No, it can't be. It can't, it can't be God, right? It can't be God, right? It's one of the most beautiful places that I get to enter into as a pastor is when someone comes and says, I think maybe God wants me to do this, or I think maybe God's calling me to be a Christian, but it can't be, right? Because it's me, and I know me, right? I don't know, again, there's a story here. Uh, what I've said uh, over the years is, uh, surely this woman's story is some combination of her own sin and rebellion and the ways that she's been sinned against, because that's all of our stories. I don't know which one we're supposed to read into most here, but whatever it is, Jesus puts his finger there and says, I know that part of your story, and yet here I sit, and I've been waiting for you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, though, has offered her not just information about her life. He's offered her, right, the, not information, but the indwelling of the Spirit. He, he hasn't just provided her with, um, with insight into her story. He's, he's actually offered her, he's, he's made the offer of salvation. He's the solution. He hasn't just diagnosed her story and her problem. He's saying, I'm the cure of it right? This is why this is such a random aside, but right? Like this is why I'd, I'd encourage you to be careful with psychics, yo. Psychics have access to the demonic and they might have some information for you. They might have some insight. A counselor might have some insight for you into your story. What they don't offer is the cure and the solution and salvation and actually the thing that can change that story, that can heal that pain, that can turn around that rebellion, that can actually come into the deepest places of who you are and satisfy what's felt unsatisfied your whole life. <laughs> I love that his disciples come back and they're like, what? They're like, Yo, that's not cool. Is this okay? Are, are there any cameras rolling? Like, this is not going to look good on social. And then they don't say a word. <laughs> it's like, but no one asked them. You know why? I think that this is the point in particularly John's gospel where they're starting to understand, yo, we're going to constantly be surprised by Jesus. 
He don't work in our categories. And so they're all just like, bro, roll with it, roll with it, roll with it. Just go with it. Be cool, be cool, right? They're like, Jesus, uh, do you want to eat? And, Jesus, and then Jesus goes from uh, drink metaphors to eat metaphors. He's like, my, will, my food is to do the will of my father, which I love, by the way, because have you ever experienced that? My, my, my food is to do the will of my father. You ever, you ever uh, spent a day where you're out doing something that you know the Lord wants you to do? And you get to the end of it and you're like, man, I am exhausted and totally filled up. That's Jesus' whole existence. He's exhausted. He's expending himself left and right. And he's going, and I'm totally filled up. That's what he's inviting us into. Um, she goes back into the town. She tells him uh, her sort of interesting evangelistic pitch. It can't be. It can't be. They all go out. Tons of people believe in him. At the end, there's this beautiful thing where they say, it's not because of what you said. It's because we've experienced it firsthand. Woo! That'll preach. Okay? There has to be a point in your walk with Jesus where your experience of him is firsthand. That's where real change happens. And a lot of us either before we put our faith in Jesus or even after we become Christians, we'll begin to substitute secondhand experience of him for firsthand, face-to-face, if you will, experience of him, right? Be careful that, you know, putting on a sermon, listening to a worship song doesn't become a secondhand way of saying, well, that person seems to be experiencing Jesus deeply. This church seems to be experiencing Jesus deeply. And so I'm getting, you know, sort of a secondhand uh, experience of that. At some point, you've got to experience it for yourself. And it's not hard. It's just a little scary. And it feels like he's going to ask something of you. Well, I've got to like really get alone and quiet. Or maybe I actually have to let my heart enter a place of worship. Or maybe I have to open the scriptures myself and see if he can actually speak to me through them directly, right? It's okay. A lot of, a lot of Christian faith in the walk is secondhand, right? Like there's teachers for a reason. There's people who lead us in worship for a reason. It's not all bad. I'm not saying that that's bad. Just be careful that it doesn't become a substitute for it's not because, right? This, this actually, I'll put this out there for Tony and Rach. What I even find hard about evangelism is at some point, it's not for me about the arguments for Christianity or here's my better apologetic thing. It's, I don't believe because of that stuff. I believe because of firsthand experience of him, right? And that can be a hard thing to communicate to someone, but that's why we've got to be really careful that all of our evangelism is leading them to him and not just to arguments, not just to secondhand experience. But look how powerful this worship is. Listen to this sermon. Isn't this book really compelling? Isn't he beautiful? Have you met him? Because it's powerful when someone comes to you. And I hope one day all of us would have, this is my goal for this year, is that all of us would have the experience of someone coming up to us and saying, you know what, Chris? It's not because of what you said. It's because I've experienced it for myself. Our vision out of that is that we want to become a church. Here it is, in smaller type than I thought it was going to be. But would you put that up, Kat? Or who's back there? Going? No, the one before that. That's way smaller. This one. Isn't this a cute little... I don't know why I put it like 12-point font. That's on me. But um, we want to become known as a church that breaks barriers to encounter Jesus together. That's who we are. We want it said that in central Jersey, 
a place of profound diversity of all different kinds, right? Cultural, ethnic, religious, social, socioeconomic, all different kinds of things, political, uh, NFL football fandom. Um, that Jacob's Well was there. That Jacob's Well was there. In fact, this, uh, this vision came from a time years ago now when uh, the elders of that time went away on retreat and we were praying into uh, if the Lord had a new sort of North Star for us as a church. And we got to that verse, Jacob's Well was there. We said, that's it. That's it. Is Jacob's Well, the ancient one, was located right in the heart of this highly contentious place. And yet it's precisely where Jesus chose to demonstrate his barrier-breaking power to encounter this woman in a way that not only changed her, but literally changed an entire city. And we said, boom, there it is. That's who we want to be. Now, this isn't what every church, even every church in our area needs to be about, but we feel a divine imperative, a dia, if you will, a divine imperative to be that kind of community. And so that's what drives our five core values, our core identities that we'll talk about over the next number of weeks. But that's what we really want to be about. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the new thing for those of you who have heard that many different times, is one of the things that I've been doing uh, over the, the last, I don't know, year or two, is uh, just kind of grabbing artwork that I come across related to this story. And I thought I'd talk you through some of those, because I've had a lot of fun collecting them. Um, first one. This is from an Argentinian uh, artist. You can see here, there's, I love in this one, you'll, you'll get this as we go through these. There's about half a dozen of them. Um, this one, you have a hesitation, right? She feels a hesitation. She's guarding. She's guarded and she's guarding that, that water that she knows, right? And I love just the posture and I love how relaxed Jesus is. He's just kind of leaning forward. Also, it's just kind of dope, whatever style this is. Um, I like that one. Next one. It's by an artist named Horace Pippin. Um, African-American artist. This was in 1940. Uh, this is actually at the Barnes Foundation. Are the McInerney's here? No, they're not. Oh, they're in Well Kids. They went to the Barnes Foundation um, this last week uh, in Philly. But this is there. Um, what's really cool about this is what Pippin did is that he updated this um, both by, right, this just feels modern. Oh, this is what you need to know. Go to the next one. This is, this is actually what Horace Pippin is sort of riffing off of, is this is an ancient depiction of Jesus and the woman at the well by an Italian artist named Tintoretti, I think, or Tintoretto. Um, and, oh, do the next one, because I put them together. Yeah, here we go. So you can see here a couple things that are going on. Um, in that one, we very much have white Jesus, white Samaritan woman. Uh, skin's a little darker here. Um, the colors, right, are far more vivacious here than sort of the the kind of classic Renaissance tone. This one's dark, right? It's sort of shaded, whereas he brings in a sense of, of the light of this moment, even the lightness of this moment. Um, in both, they're leaning in towards each other is sort of the, the interpretation here. I love disciples creeping in the back, like, yo, what's going on? Are you good with this? Um, but yeah, I just really love this one, right? The purple, man, it just stands out, especially against whatever we would even call that color. In the back, this almost feels American to me, like, like the American South or something. Um, yeah, I love those two. Next one. This is an Indian artist, uh, an Anglican Indian artist. Um, I'm sure you want the name, so I'll give it to you. Uh, 
J.B. Thomas, I believe is the name. Um, <clears throat> and this one is representing, so this artist uh, was uh, an Indian Anglican who did missions, uh, sort of frontier missions in India in the last century. Um, and he would often depict the scenes in the life of Jesus more in, a, in sort of a culturally uh, familiar way. And so here, this is Jesus, uh, more in sort of a, a guru uh, sort of posture and, and, and feel and vibe. And, and this, of course, is the woman. Um, I love just the ease of Jesus. It looks like he's been waiting there for her. There's a hand extended toward her. The, the, one of the things that I read about this is sort of the curvature in her is sort of a leaning in, but also with a little bit of hesitation, like, do I really, really want to have this interaction? Is this safe for me? Next one. I love this one. This is a Lithuanian artist. Um, this was the one that just struck me as like, it's so easy to flatten the biblical stories and to forget that like she was a real woman. Like, this woman, if, if, if you meet her one day in the new heavens and new earth and you ask like, so what's your story? How'd you come to faith? She's like, oh, <laughs> right? Like, you know, that's, have you ever heard of Jacob's well, <laughs> right? Um, it's just so cool to think like, yeah, there, there's, a real, there's a real sister of ours um, who, who will one day tell us this story in, in her own firsthand account of it. She's like, I knew he was talking metaphor, right? <laughs> That's what I picture. <laughs> I knew it. Um, next one. This is a really beautiful one by, uh, what's her name? Judith. Judith Fritchman. She's an American painter. What struck me about this one is, uh, I don't know if you can tell from where you're sitting, but that's the hand of Jesus and there's sort of water. And it's a little unclear if the water is going into her jar or up from her jar. Um, which I think is, is the, the language of, of sort of transfer in the story, right? She initially is the one who's invited to give Jesus water, but he's the one who gives. I love that all the water isn't going directly into the jar. It's actually falling on her, right? Um, leaning into to the beautiful metaphor of her own cleansing um, through what, what Jesus offers in this water. Which one was your favorite? Did you, did you have one that you sort of responded to? I wonder. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them, right? Oh, and then this one. This is cool, right? This is by Cook. I couldn't figure out the rest of the name. But right here's the jar. Noonday sun, she's running back. It can't be Kenneth, <laughs> right? That's what she's yelling as she goes back. It can't be Kenneth. Um, yeah, I really love that one. Breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. Here's how we do that here at Jacob's Well. You cannot put up that Venn diagram me thingy. This is how we're currently doing things. Um, is we believe that these are all areas uh, in the life of a church where Jesus um, makes promises about being encountered in these various places, right? Jesus makes promises about um, when, when we go and we serve, when we're proximate to suffering in the world, there's, there's a particular nearness of Jesus in, in those places. Um, he says that, that, in fact, you're, you're, you're serving me, in that moment, right? You talk about encounter with Jesus, that we encounter Jesus as we go and, and give of ourselves, right? In evangelism, um, I bet any of you who have had the guts to, to share your faith know that there's something that happens in that moment where you feel like, man, I've never felt more carried along. I've never felt more like, maybe you never felt more awkward and more put off and more, you know, rejected. But, um, but there's also these moments in sharing uh, our faith and just walking with, with people who don't yet believe where you feel like, man, I, I felt like Jesus was, was at that table in that 
conversation. Um, discipleship uh, is literally the process by which we abide to use his language in Jesus and learn to be like him and, and watch him and then watch him transform us. Care, uh, Jesus literally says, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, right? There is a particular care that's required within Christian community that Jesus says, I show up there. Because again, you're, you're serving me. When you're serving my body, you're literally serving me. And so we believe that care within this community, um, that dare I say sort of prioritizing that, that our own are, are well taken care of is one of the things that Jesus says, yeah, you'll encounter me. Um, you'll encounter a richness of my presence as you do that. And then of course in community, um, in the faces, in the, in the encouragement and challenge of one another, uh, one of the primary ways that Jesus speaks to us um, is, is through, through each other. Um, it's why he calls us to confess sin one to another um, is because there is a power, uh, there, is a, there is a presence of Jesus in that place. So these are all places of encounter with Jesus, which is why we feel they're so central to what we do. These are also, every single one of them, I won't talk through everyone, but these are places that have barriers for all of us, where barriers exist, right? To serve well, you've got to get proximate to suffering, and that can be really scary. Right? To be discipled and formed into the image of Jesus means you need to go places in your own story, in your own heart, in your own rebellion that can be really, that you just feel like, no, I, I've been up against that barrier too many times. And then on and on we could go. But that's, but that's why we do them. <laughs> it's not in spite of those being barriers, but precisely because that's where we see the barriers around us. And we go, well, yeah, that's what Jesus wants to do. He has a barrier-breaking power when we encounter him where he changes us. Um, precisely in the moments where we feel like we're giving up so much, where we're crossing into places that we've been hesitant to go into, boom, that's where he meets us <clears throat> and changes us. And so that's who we are as a church, breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. And so may it be said <clears throat> that um, our friends and neighbors and coworkers and all those things is as we grow and deepen in our faithfulness to who God has called us to be, would say, man, I'm really glad Jacob's well was there. I'm really glad a place that took these things seriously, that <clears throat> took both things seriously, that took seriously and actually acknowledged that there's barriers in this world to encounter with Jesus, right? Like we try and be really honest about those things that, that keep our friends and neighbors from Jesus. But we actually take really seriously though, the Jesus who's able to break down those barriers and who, when you encounter him, literally will change your life forever. Every Sunday, we come to this table and it just feels like an appropriate way uh, for us to, to end our time this morning because this is where uh, the, the tangible, right? We, we eat and drink. Isn't that beautiful? Um, again, there's, there's metaphor here, but there's literal, there's literal bread and there's literal wine, right? He wants us to feel the, the tangible reality of the grace that he offers all of us. And so on the night before he was crucified, Jesus took bread that was at the table and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. My, my suffering, my pain, my being broken so that you could be made whole. And then he took wine that was at the table and he said, this represents um, the blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. My death so that you might live. My punishment so that you might go free. And he said, take this in remembrance of what I've done, but also in anticipation that one day we will eat this meal in full. It won't be partial, but it'll be full. And we'll enjoy that face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, no longer through a glass dimly, 
but fully in his presence one day. Amen? Amen. If you want to take that journey with us over the next number of weeks, we'll offer opportunities to get um, more involved and give you a sense of, of what um, kind of locking arms with, with who we as, are as a church, what that means and what that looks like. Um, I'll welcome the band up now. Uh, we're going to sing uh, a song that, that speaks to, uh, yeah, that, that speaks to who this God is. We'd welcome you to come to this table. This table is for followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome at this table. Uh, there's bread out on the outside. There's a gluten-free option here in the middle. There's wine and juice that are all labeled for the sake of conscience. If you're not a follower of Jesus, scriptures are very clear. You honor him more by just considering what you've heard. You honor him most by bowing the knee. Maybe today is the day that through this very story, you feel that sense of me? No, that, that couldn't have been about me. Jesus isn't talking to me, right? This is a big, you know, this is a big state. Um, there's a lot of people in this room. There's no way that today is my day. Um, I would just say, I'm sure she felt the same way. <laughs> and yet, um, yet her life was changed forever. If, if you make that decision, it's very simple. You just say, Jesus, I can't live life how I've been doing it on my own. I need what you give. I need the forgiveness that you give. And then come to the table and partake. If you make that decision this morning, please let uh, one of us, any of us who are up here, you can let me know that so that we can give you a sense of what's next. Band will play, encourage you to just meditate on what you've heard this morning, then come forward when you're ready. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a, a barrier breaker. God, because it's just easy to look around us, to look within us, and all we see are, are, are walls of hesitation, our walls of rebellion, our walls of difference and otherness. And yet, Lord, um, you do away with those uh, in your time and, and gently and so graciously. And then you encounter us and you welcome us to a new way of being in the world centered on you. Lord Jesus, I pray that none of us would be able to turn away from that truth this morning, that as we come to this table, we would experience you afresh. So God, be with us even during this, uh, this last uh, movement of our gathering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.